Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad you're here. It's good to see your faces. From what I can see, if I block out the light, I can see some faces out there. If you are with us and you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're here, maybe you're just checking things out, maybe you're just seeing what this Christian thing is all about or how weird these people are, that's great. I'm glad you were here. But I want to let you know that what we are about to talk about may seem a little strange to you, may strike you as a bit odd. And then what we are going to do after the message may seem even more odd as we take communion together. And I just want to encourage you, uh, think carefully about what you believe and think about where that is taking you. Good? Let's get to it. What had once seemed like a pleasure cruise, a smooth albeit persistent and swift journey into the unknown, was beginning to feel more like a relentless surge through an ever-intensifying, merciless gauntlet. That could be the beginning of a Discovery Channel show, right? The turbulent chops incessant onslaught was giving way to what were now thundering collisions as Hull met water again and again. In the background, the crackling voice pushing barometer readings through the static was really unnecessary. Through the speckling droplets now scattered across the windshield of the vessel, you could see that there was a storm on the horizon. Life feels a bit like that right now, doesn't it? Every day, each new sunrise, a new report of turbulent waters. Another shooting, another natural disaster, another report of, of something tragic happening, another surge in cases, another monumental moral lapse, another decision that seems to, fly, to, to fall, fly in the face of all that is reasonable and true and good. Are we nearing the end? A lot of people think so. There is no shortage of doomsday soothsayers, of end-of-the-world predictors, and we see them come and we see them go, and we learn over and over and over again not to put our trust in them as each morning we see the sun rise after the day they said it would all be over. And so it's not surprising that we've come to adopt a certain emerging skepticism of the end of the world. We tend to ignore it. We do the best to get on with our, our lives and make the most of them. And yet, as the waves grow stronger and the skies grow a bit darker, it's hard to escape that growing feeling that something big is just over the horizon. Is the end near? And if it is near, how do you prepare yourself to face it? The disciples had, had a sense of that, something big on the horizon. They had given everything to follow Jesus. They had witnessed him see and do amazing things. They had watched the crowds affirm the things that they had come to believe, that Jesus was the Messiah the anointed one that Israel had been waiting for. Following him may not have felt safe, but it was good. 
It was exciting. It was awe-inspiring. But they could tell that things seemed to be coming to a head. The opposition was growing stronger. The loaded questions of the religious leaders, the, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, even the Herodians were getting more intense. And not only that, Jesus seemed to be getting bolder in his responses to them. Could the moment be coming where Jesus is going to hoist the colors and sound the bugle and call his people to arms? Something big is on the horizon. We could feel it. In the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 13, we see a a glimpse of the inquiring minds that were really closest to Jesus, and we see Jesus giving a telescopic view of what is leading up to the end. And we're going to look together, and as we do look at this passage, let's be asking ourselves, how should we prepare for and respond to stormy days that may be on the horizon. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, and would you stand with me as we read God's holy and trustworthy word? This is Mark chapter 13. We're going to read the first 13 verses together. Mark chapter 13 says this, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones... And what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And your brother will deliver, and brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Let's walk through this together. They were leaving the temple grounds. They'd been at the temple for weeks at least as far as we're concerned. We've been in this for weeks and weeks, walking through chapter 12. No, they were in the temple uh, for the day, and as they walked out, they began to get a better vantage point to view the temple itself. This was Herod's temple. 
It was the temple that had been 50 years in the process, and that brought us to the day where Jesus and his disciples were now admiring this thing. In that day, the temple was a wonder to behold. The immensity of its stones, the gleaming sun reflecting off of its marble walls, the opulent use of gold, the expanse of its structures, and just the plain fact that it's not finished yet. It looks like it's going to be 10 years, decades, until this thing is going to be complete. What's it going to look like then? It was a reason to marvel. And that's just what one of the disciples did. Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. Jesus didn't disagree. And he replies, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. Jesus, who do you think you are? What are you saying here? Why would you say a thing like that against this magnificent structure, this tribute to God? Well, we already know from our study of Mark's gospel that Jesus saw right through all of the glitter and all of the majesty of this building. He saw right through it and saw hypocrisy inside. He saw greed inside. He saw manipulation going on inside. The temple had become the opposite of what God had intended it to be. It was no longer a place where people were led to worship God, but it was a place where the religious leaders could lead people to worship themselves. And so they were grabbing up money from the worshipers, making a profit off of it. They were stroking their own egos. They were grabbing up more and more power. A couple weeks ago, we saw how Jesus pronounced on the scribes a condemnation. They would receive a greater condemnation, he said, for pretending to be God's people. They were abusing people. They were leading the very people astray whom God loved. And now he pronounces that the day is coming when God's judgment will fall on this monument and the entire corrupt system. Is God a God of justice? Well, he claims to be. Deuteronomy 32.4 describes God this way. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And reading that, someone might say, well, that's very good. If there is a good God, I expect him to be good. I expect him to bring good to people who are good and to punish those who are bad. But more often than not, what I see going on in the world is the opposite. I see the bad people prospering. I see injustice happening left and right and going unpunished. What is going on here? What Jesus is getting at here is that there is coming a time when there is going to be a demonstration of God's justice. And for those who question whether or not his threats have any teeth to them, this prediction of the destruction of the temple should be a sign to them. It is a sign to them of who God is. And that he means business. Remember, Jesus said, not, stone, not one stone will be left upon another. In AD 70, Emperor Titus Vespasian put an end to the Jewish rebellion. And he 
besieged Jerusalem and laid waste to the temple. This is about 40 years later. The Romans, they built fires around the temple, superheated the stones, causing the stones to crumble. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote, It was so thoroughly laid even with the ground by those that dug it up to the foundation that there was left nothing to make those that came thither believe it, that is Jerusalem, had even ever been inhabited. Some of you have been to Rome. You've seen the Arch of Titus. The Arch of Titus, it displays inside, it displays what Emperor Titus did with some of the sacred items that he took out of the temple. He paraded the, the menorah and, and the, the table of showbread. He paraded that around the streets of Rome. This was a thorough and humiliating fulfillment of God's justice. And it's history. It happened. Let me ask you something. If you were a Christian living there in AD 70 and you heard news of this, or maybe you even witnessed some of this, what would that do to your confidence in Jesus? Would you pay a little bit more attention to what he said, what he taught? And what impact should that have on us here in 2021? How does that impact what, how we see what the Bible teaches? Even as we stand here, do we believe God is actually in control? That he is actually unfolding his plan? That we are in the midst of this and he is going to bring about all that he has promised? There's a storm on the horizon, but it's, it's a storm where every gust of wind and every little droplet of rain and every flash of lightning is in the maker's hands. The destruction of the temple should remind us of that. But you know, God's judgment doesn't end with the destruction of the temple. It doesn't end there we find ourselves walking through the timeline of history and we are watching and we are waiting for what God is going to allow to happen next. Is he going to bring about what he promised? That's where Mark takes us next in verse 3. It says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? Matthew keys us in a little bit more on the fullness of their question. He records it like this. As he sat on, Mount, on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, it's important for us to see that because it's important for us to see that uh, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they're asking more than just about when is the destruction of the temple going to happen. They want to know when Jesus is going to be coming again. The first coming of Jesus, that was about securing the means of salvation for his people. 
He'd suffer. He would die. He would rise again from the dead so that by placing our faith in him, our guilt might be removed, our relationship with God restored. We might be given the hope of heaven and the fear and the threat of God's justice coming down upon us. Well, we don't have that anymore because that came down on Jesus in our place. That's the first coming. The second coming would be for Jesus to gather his people to himself, for him to bring justice on the world and to usher in a new age. And that's the place where we stand today. That's what we're waiting for, looking forward to today, the second coming. But as we wait, it's so easy for us to lose sight of that, that big picture in God's timeline and zero in on our own small timelines, isn't it? So easy. Easy for us to exchange this epic view that God has given us of history, what he's doing in the world, and exchange that for our, our little myopic views of what's going on. And you might be thinking about what comes next in your life. I think about those things all the time. I remember thinking about when I was going to get a job, or when I was going to get married, or when I was going to have kids, or, or now it's how, how am I going to survive raising my kids? This, this is tough stuff. Am I going to be able to continue to afford to live in Southern California? Do I need to think about moving out? Is this the right time to sell? Have I enough money to retire? I don't know, and so on and so on it goes. Some of us, our, our attention goes a little bit more political, right? And so we're thinking about what's going to happen next in politics. What are the bills that are going to be voted on? Who's the next president going to be? What about the next governor? What's the CDC going to make me do next? Some of us, that's still way too big, though, way too big, and we're just thinking about how long is this guy going to talk, and when can I get out of this place and get some lunch? <laughs> the donut wasn't quite enough. We tend to look at life through a microscope, don't we? But what Jesus gives us right here in Mark chapter 13 is a telescope. We may live in the here and now, but it's important for us to pull away and gaze at the bigger picture. And that's especially true when you find yourself being buffeted by the waves and sick to your stomach by the rapidly changing tide. There's a storm that's coming. And how you understand God's bigger picture is going to impact how you weather that storm. And I think that's why Jesus doesn't shrug off their question. Did you know that Jesus' answer to their question is the longest answer that we have recorded in the Bible of Jesus giving to a question he was asked? This is, this is the most attention, the most time, the most energy he gives to answering a question. And he gives them more than they asked for. All that they asked for was, please, give us some signs to, to know when these things are going to happen. Jesus goes further, and he tells them how they should actually prepare for these things, free of charge. And that's what we want to focus our attention on this morning. In the little time we have left, how should Christ's people prepare to face the end of the age? How do you walk through the times that we're living in right now and when times may get worse than they are already right now? How do you prepare to make it through those stormy waters? Or as Jesus puts it in verse 13, how do you endure to the end? The one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus said. We want to endure, don't we? 
Don't you want to endure? Don't you want to make it to the end? You don't want to be people that make it part of the way and then all of a sudden just completely fall apart and it's over. You don't want to be running towards the finish line uh, to all of a sudden get sidetracked and veer off on some little side trail and never make it to the end. You don't want to lose sight of the prize and give up before you get there, right? We want to endure. So what is it that we need to endure and what does it look like to endure? I find four things in this passage. The first is this. God's people should be prepared to endure to the end by watching out for false teachers. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. That word see there, blepo in the Greek, it, it can mean to just observe, but in this context, it takes on a deeper meaning. It, it means something more like, watch out, be on the lookout. There are plenty of people who are leading others astray, right? That's what Jesus had just been talking about the last time we were in Mark. He was talking about the Jewish religious leaders, specifically the scribes. They were leading people to believe that the way to receiving blessing from God was to empty your wallet and put as much money as possible into the offering plate and to obey every single tradition that their forefathers had come up with. They were leading people astray. They were lying. That's strong. Probably shouldn't say that, should we? No, we have to say that. They were deceivers. Jesus points out there's going to be more of them. There's going to be many, many more of them. These days, they're a dime a dozen, aren't they? Dime a dozen. They're, they're, they're hawking their false teaching all over the place. Everything from worshiping Mother Earth, ooh, that's intriguing, to power of positive thinking. Or the preaching, follow the dream that's in your heart. That just sounds so nice. God wants you to take up his political cause. He wants you to fix government. Do these things. Pray these prayers. Wear these clothes. And God's going to make your life so much happier and healthier maybe even a little wealthier. That sounds good. And Jesus says, see to it, no one misleads you. How do you do that? One of the ways you don't do that is by going with the flow. Just because everyone else is jumping on board, just because all kinds of other Christians are into it, just because it's trending on social media, that doesn't mean it's the right path to take. Did you catch what Jesus said? They will lead many astray. Crowds, hundreds, thousands, millions, who knows? Enduring to the end of the age, making it through the storm that's up ahead, doesn't happen by going with the crowds. Word on the street is that you have to get on the right side of history. If being on the right side of history is not in line with God's plan and his purposes, I don't want to be on that side. The religious leaders thought they were on that side. The right side of history. They were surrounded by evidences of it. All kinds of lavish living, fancy clothes, patting themselves on the back, feeling like they were more highly evolved or higher up on the totem pole than everyone else. 
And look where it got them. AD 70. Jesus says, see to it that no one misleads you. Don't let anyone lead you astray. How do you do that? I mean, there are so many books out there. You go to Amazon, and it's, just, it's, it's overwhelming. Years ago, you'd go to a Christian bookstore, and you'd just be like, I don't know how to choose. There's so many different churches out there, so many different views out there, so many influencers out there on the Internet hawking their belief system on YouTube or social media, podcasts and vodcasts. Vodcasts, is that right? How can God expect you to make it through life and not be led astray by these screaming voices? He can expect us to do that. He can tell us to do that because he's given us everything we need to do it. He's given us his word. He's given us his church. He's given us his spirit. How do you make sure no one misleads you? Well, by making his word your regular diet. You gotta be in this thing. You got voices blowing their blather all over the place. You'll see right through their lives if you are studying and filling your mind with God's truth. And then you say, well, actually, there's a lot of things in here that's really hard to understand. And I'm reading the King James Version, and there's these and those, and I don't know what's going on. That's why he adopted you into the church. That's why you have brothers and sisters in Christ that you are now united to. Christians were never meant to go it alone. They were made to be in close community with one another. Well, that's uncomfortable. Well, yeah, sometimes it is uncomfortable because God is shaping us and changing us, iron sharpening iron, as we bump into each other. We're here so that we might encourage one another, so that we might teach one another, so that we might sharpen one another and even correct one another in love. And that's why God gives churches elders and pastors so they might carefully be studying God's word and guard God's people from bad theology that's creeping in all around out there. On top of all that, you have been equipped with God's Holy Spirit. If you placed your trust in Christ, you have his spirit living within you, and the spirit is also called the counselor. He's opening your eyes to the truth of God's word. He's convicting you of sin, course correcting you when you veer off in the wrong direction. He's giving you everything you need to see through the lies of the world. Okay, so why are so many people buying into the lies of the world? I have a few ideas. One, I think many just ignore and reject the resources that God gives them. Some refuse to open up this thing or the little app on their phones. Some who do read it, rather than take it for what it says, well, they're looking at it through their own glasses and they're trying to make it say what they want it to say or approve of the lifestyle that they've chosen. I think some, they make church an event to go to rather than a family to be a part of. They keep people at a distance. They buzz on out as fast as they possibly can. I put in my time. I think some have dulled their senses to the Holy Spirit's call by indulging in things that God's word says, stay far away from. And you do it over and over and over and over again, enough times and all of a sudden, the voice of the Holy Spirit is not as quiet as loud to you. 
think they're like ships in a storm rather than paying attention to the GPS and the beacon of the lighthouse going around and the Coast Guard's voice coming through the radio begging, turn around. They push on full steam ahead in the direction that they want to go, not knowing there's jagged rocks up ahead. See to it that no one misleads you, church. How do you respond or how do you prepare yourself to endure the end? Watch out for false teachers. They are out there. They are subtle and their message, the direction it leads is deadly. Second thing, God's people should be prepared to endure to the end by saying no to fear. Jesus says in verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, we're not unfamiliar with wars, are we? We're not unfamiliar with rumors of wars. We're not unfamiliar with earthquakes. Not unfamiliar with famine. Certainly not uh, unfamiliar with drought. Here in the U.S., even with some of these things, we've still managed to live a pretty comfortable life. But beware, things may get worse. These days, it seems like you can't go more than a couple weeks without someone sounding the alarm that we are in big trouble. There's no shortage of things to be concerned about, to get anxious over, to be afraid of. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. How can he say that? And he just acknowledged that these things are going to happen. War is a horrific thing. Earthquakes can be devastating. Famine, oh my goodness, we've seen the effects of that on the news. It's terrible. How can he say, don't be alarmed? He can do that because he knows that we live with the reality of his larger plan in mind. In fact, we know the end of the story, don't we? We do. We know that even now, he's preparing a place for us. That this isn't our home. Heaven is our home. And he's not going to leave us here. In fact, he's coming back for us. Notice Jesus said in verse 7, this must take place. Those are words I've been holding on to all week. This must take place. As I talk with so many other Christians who are very concerned about so many different things that are going on in our world right now. Did you watch this uh, YouTube video? Did you see this news person over here? Did you hear them say this, that, and the other thing? This must take place. What does that mean? Because they've been given a glimpse of God's greater plan, Christians can go through life seeing everything in light of what God's doing. So we shouldn't be surprised when we hear of wars. Not after reading this. We shouldn't be surprised when we hear about drought or famine or violent crime or people doing all sorts of despicable things or leaders making really, really bad decisions or the world saying down is up, up is down, right is wrong, wrong is right. We should not be surprised. Jesus says these things must take place. God knows they're going to happen. Not only does he know about them, he has a purpose for them. Somehow, in some way, they fit into his meta-narrative. 
his greater story. So he tells us, don't be alarmed. My friends, I think this is an area where Christians are really finding themselves tested these days. We're tempted to freak out. We're tempted to jump on bandwagons to join this cause or that cause. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for what is right and stand against what is wrong. But what I do want you to consider is whether or not you are doing so out of confidence for who you are in Christ and in an effort to further the gospel, make it more widely known, or could it be that you are doing so out of fear that if you don't act now, God's plans are going to fall apart? God's not alarmed by what's going on in the world. No surprise to him. He may be grieved by it. He may be storing up wrath against it. But none of it is a surprise to him. And none of it makes him anxious. He's not alarmed. And neither should you be. Notice he says that all of these terrible things are going to happen, they are but the beginning of the birth pains. For a first time around, an expectant mother might feel, start feeling those contractions, those small contractions, and she says, this is it, we better go. And so the, they throw the bags in the car, they've got the infant seat all ready to go, they make their way to the hospital, they see the doctor, get examined, and oh, this isn't it. Ooh, I gotta go through more? And then she's making the embarrassing trip back home. How many Christians have gotten all up in arms thinking, this is it, this is the end, only to find out it isn't the end. And going through that a few times, you can find yourself beginning to get discouraged. <laughs> What's going wrong? What's, I, I, maybe I've got this all wrong. I, I don't know how to interpret this. Don't be alarmed. In fact, when you see wars and when you see famine, and when you see all of these despicable things happening all around you, the world is beginning to circle the drain, you know what you should be thinking? You should be thinking the same thing that expectant mother is thinking. It's coming. The end is near. Baby's on the way. Good things are happening. My friends, when you see the terror and you see the heartache and you see the catastrophe in the world, let that be a reminder to you. Jesus is coming back. It's happening just as he said it would happen. The skies are dark. The waters are rough. Something good is on the horizon. And he will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings you will find refuge, his Faithfulness is a shielded buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. In the fury of the storm, God's people say, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God's people should be prepared to endure to the end 
by saying no to fear. No way. My God is bigger than this. My God has got this. He knows all about this. I don't know all the details. He does. I'm in his hands. And even as I walk through each and every day, my little microscope of a story, he's right there with me. A couple more things. God's people should be prepared to endure to the end by being ready to suffer for his sake. Verse 9, but be on your guard. They will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. You stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. He says, be on your guard. Why be on your guard? Because you're going to be delivered over to the authorities. You are going to suffer. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. How is that going to happen? Why would I suffer? I'm such a nice person. I'm a good neighbor. It's going to happen because people aren't going to like what you stand for. And they're not going to like how you can't stop talking about what you stand for and where your hope is found. You have a divinely appointed mission to go into all the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's why he reminds us in verse 10, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. As you go there, actually do what God has called you to do. Make disciples. The world that was opposed to Jesus, guess what? It's going to be opposed to you. We've read this before, John 15, 20. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. As we march into the storm, if we're going to endure the way Christ has called us to endure as his people, well, we're watching out for false teaching, bad ideas. We want to be on the lookout for those things. We're not surprised at how messy things get, how terrible things get. We realize God has a bigger plan here. He's doing something much bigger, and there are good things ahead. And then we boldly and we faithfully and we courageously step forward to proclaim the good news to all peoples fully aware that just like Peter and Paul and Stephen and all the rest of these guys who got dragged into courts or dragged out into the streets and lost their lives, we're fully aware that we may be headed for some grief. And yet we press on. As we do, we don't kick and scream like the toddler who's been told he can't watch any more cartoons. No, instead we consider it an honor to be counted worthy to suffer like the Savior. This is how we endure to the end. One last thing. We prepare to endure by the end, for, to the end by trusting in the leading and provision of the Holy Spirit. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Your brother will deliver, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, children will rise against parents, have them put to death, 
Here's a sobering statement. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Did you catch that? Things are going to get tough. How tough? Family members will betray you. They're going to rat you out. Some of you have already experienced that. I've seen the heartbreak that you experience. Fortunately for us here in America, we are not under the threat of death as some are in our world today. Right now, you might lose your job. You might have your reputation tarnished. You might face public humiliation. You might be censored on social media. As uh, one Christian leader who wrote one of our books that's out there on the bookstand, he was just letting us know today on social media of what's happened to him, the censoring that's going on. You might be canceled. <laughs> but not death at this point. But that doesn't mean it's not coming doesn't mean imprisonment isn't coming. It's happened again before, and it can happen again. As the skies grow darker and you find yourself in tight spots, you might begin to wonder if you have what it takes to endure. Am I going to be prepared to say what I need to say? I remember at vacation Bible school, when I was just a little thing, they, they told us, you know, if, 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 what if people with guns came door to door and they came into your house and they asked you, do you believe in Jesus? If, if you do, we're going to shoot you. And I thought, well, I don't think I could say what I need to say. Don't forget that if you are a believer, you have something supernatural inside of you that you did not have before. The Holy Spirit is within you, empowering you. He will lead you, he will guide you, he will enable you to say what needs to be said and to do what needs to be done. The one who endures to the end will be saved. At first glance, that looks like it's all about running some type of masochistic marathon in which only the strongest are going to survive, right? Endure to the end. Okay, all right, who's going to make it? Look around. The reality is that those who are in Christ don't endure on their own strength. They're supernaturally empowered have all the resources that they need to weather the storm. Jesus, when will these things be? What will be a sign of, of your coming in, in the end of the age? Do you really want to know? You need to know. As the storm grows stronger, the end draws closer God's people are meant to endure. How do we do that? Watching out for false teachers, saying no to fear, being ready to suffer for Christ's sake, trusting in the leading and provision of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we think about enduring to the end, we can't help but think of our Savior who endured to the end all the way to the end. Think of the agony in the garden. It was not easy. Think of the steady march to the end. And he did it for your sake 
and for my sake. If you're here this morning, you should have a little communion cup. I'm realizing I don't have one. So if someone can grab me one, that would be great. This is the time where we are going to focus our attention on what Christ has done for us that knits us together as his people, that transforms us into people who aren't tossed back and forth by the wind, but are steadfast and confident and march through the storms of life regardless of how hard, difficult they get with their eyes fixed on the end. Praising him. You think back to disciples thrown in prison and singing praises to God from the belly of those horrible places. They have hope. And we have that same hope because of Jesus Christ. Would you just bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and let's take a moment, prepare our hearts to take this bread and this juice. Lord, we come before you and we recognize that we are a part of something that is far greater than we are. And we do not deserve to be part of this. We should be on the outside looking in. We should be living life in fear and in terror. We should be running after our own devices to our own demise. But Lord, we are here and we have hope. Even though many of us, even in this room, are in the midst of suffering, you fill our hearts with praise and with joy. And Father, we declare our love for you now. We declare to each other now as we take of this bread and this juice, Lord. We declare to our, each other that this is where my hope is found. And it's where your hope needs to continue to be. Be honored by this time, Lord, we pray in, in your name. Amen.